Well, there was an older couple, older than Mike and Cindy, but some of the symptoms are the same. There was an older couple that was having trouble continuing to, to remember just common everyday things. They were beginning to forget to get, forgetting these day-to-day things as they would take place. And to, to, to solve that solution or to come up with a solution to solve that problem, they both decided that they would write down their requests. And that way they could try to avoid forgetting the things that they were asking one another to do. So one evening, the couple is sitting and watching television and the wife gets up and says to her husband, is there anything that you would like me to get for you? Well, of course, he said, yes, there is, as a matter of fact. I'd like a large ice cream sundae with chocolate ice cream, with whipped cream on top, and a cherry on top of the whipped cream. And she goes, no problem. I'd love to get that for you. So she gets up, and she starts off to the kitchen, and the husband shouts after her, honey, wait a minute, you didn't write that down. And she says, seriously? I'm going into the kitchen right now to get it. I will remember perfectly what I'm going in there to get you. Well, it took a while. She was gone for quite a while. and Finally, she comes back, and when she finally returns, she set down this plate before him with scrambled eggs, bacon, sausage, hash browns, and a great big glass of orange juice. And the husband looks at it, looks up at her and looks at it again. He says, I told you you should have wrote it down. You forgot the toast. (laughs) It is easy to forget. Matter of fact, it's getting easier for me every day, it seems. Easier to forget things. It's, you know, men, can you relate? How many of you have ever went in the grocery store and your wife wanted you to take a list, but you could remember both things? Until you got in the grocery store. And you have no idea. And now with the curse of cell phones, you have to call and ask again. What were those two things on the list? You ever start to do something that you did before, quite a while back, and, you, and your wife says to you, you know, honey, are you sure you remember how to do it? <sighs> Quit insulting me. Of course I remember how to do it. And you go back and you can't remember even how to, how to get started. It's been so long since you've done that thing. Ever taken something apart that you've taken apart before? And now it's time to put it back together. I mean, I even take video with my camera, and I still can't get it back together. I forget where things go. How many of you have ever done this? This is one of my most embarrassing. We're at the kitchen counter. We're maybe even sitting there. We're eating, and I decide I need something out of the refrigerator, which in my case is I turn around and take two steps and open the door and take out what I want. And how many times I've went over there and opened the door, and it's just gone. Not from the refrigerator, from my mind. I have no idea what I went over to the refrigerator for. You can pray for me, by the way. A lot of times we forget things, and it's really not that big a deal. But sometimes we forget things that have the potential to actually change the way we live our lives. They have the potential to cause us to really become and act and live differently than we intended to. When this happens, especially for Christians, you know, we can forget, especially if we've been Christians for a while, we can forget all the things that God has set us free from. 
We forget where we were, where we were headed, what our life looked like. We forget about the bondages and the strongholds that were there. We forget that where we were headed was death, destruction. We can forget all of that. And when we do have this this slippage of all of these memories that we shouldn't forget, it opens the door to things like being quick to judge others. You ever look at somebody or you know something about them and you go, they're never going to change. I can't believe that they are like that. Forgetting who I was and forgetting what I was like. All of a sudden, we are not having the compassion of Christ for these people like he had for us. We can lose our passion for the Lord. You know, we sometimes talk about that new believer and he's so, or he, she is so on fire for the Lord. They're just passionate because they realize and remember what just happened in their life, maybe days, weeks, or a few months before, where they were headed, what God has set them free from, and they're just on fire. And probably most of us, well, maybe we can't remember, but we were that way once. And now often we fall into the trap of looking at them and saying, well, just give them time. They'll calm down. Why are we speaking curses on them like that? Really, if you think about it, if if being a Christian is a relationship with Jesus Christ, the more we learn and know about him, the more passionate and on fire we should become, right? Not the other way around. But when we forget where the Lord has taken us from, we can lose that passion for the Lord. And if we forget where he took us from, we can face the danger of sliding back into that same lifestyle picking up those things that used to be attached to us, beginning to live more and more like that old Mike, that old person, living more and more like the world that God rescued us from if we forget where he took us from. We've been looking at the letter of Paul to Titus, and we're going to continue to look at that letter this morning. The title of my message is actually... He saved us. Remember? He saved us. Do we remember? In Titus chapter 3, Paul, in writing this letter to Titus, is reminding him of what he needs to remind the people of. And we're going to look at some of these verses. We're going to kind of go through verses 1 through 8, spending a little time on each verse. These verses are so packed with information that we need to remember. So I'm going to just read the verses first. I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, This will not be on the screen. So if you've got your Bibles, you can follow along in chapter 3, verse 1. And then we will review the verses individually, and they will be on the screen. Paul, writing to Titus, says, Remind the people to be subject to their rulers and authorities. Remind them to be obedient. Remind them to be ready to do whatever is good. To slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility towards all men. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice, and we lived in envy, being hated 
and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, to whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have turned and trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Boy, there is so much theology in those verses that I encourage you to study it because I'm not going to go as deep as we could by any means in these verses. But I want us to look at the verses. The first slide, I think, has verses 1 and 2 on it. And I, when, when Titus chapter 3 begins, Paul is instructing Timothy to remind the people, this is how you should live. And then he goes on and he's reminding them, this is why you should live this way. And I want to encourage us. The word of God is as applicable to us as it was to the Cretans on the island of Crete where Titus was ministering. We need these reminders continually in our life. He starts with those words, remind them. Um, I am no Greek student, but I do know many Greek words have a different test. You know, text. Let me try that again. Tense. Past tense, present tense, future tense, an ongoing tense. And the word here in the Greek where he says remind them could more accurately be translated into English as keep reminding them. It is a present tense word in the Greek. So it's like he's not just saying, hey, remind them. He says remind them and remind them and remind them and keep reminding them of these things. It's a continuing reminder that they are needed. We forget easily. You know, it's amazing how many people that say they're an atheist or even an, or an agnostic, when all of a sudden trouble comes, they will finally turn to God in prayer. It's always amazing to me when someone who has personally declared to me that they don't believe there's a God, something happens in their life, and when I come across their path, they say, hey, would you really pray for me? I have to fight the urge to say, to who? That's that sarcasm thing I'm still working on. But there's this time where we need to remember where we came from. Be reminded continually because we forget so easily. This is one of the reasons that it's so important to be part of a faith community. This is one of the reasons why it's so important to be involved in a church. This is so important, one of the reasons it's so important to be plugged into a life group because we need the reminder of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need brothers and sisters in Christ who we know love us and will hold us accountable. We need brothers and sisters in Christ that will come alongside of us and correct us with the word of God in love. We need brothers and sisters in Christ who will speak those words of encouragement to us when the world is weighing us down. We need to be reminded A faith family, a community, is so important in the life of a Christian. 
And he goes on and he gives as a reminder how to live as these good citizens. Subject to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. Be ready to do whatever is good. You know, obey. Obey your leaders. Obey those in authority over you. Obey the laws of the land. Be obedient. It's a powerful testimony to the Lord. And then he, when he uses the words, be ready to do whatever is good, he's, it's really what he's saying is, be ready to serve at all times. Be a good, who can you serve? What can you do? At all times, be on the alert, be on the lookout. And when you see it, don't turn and run the other way. Serve. He's reminding them what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. Do what is ever good. Don't slander someone. Don't slander them to their face. Don't slander them when you're gossiping with somebody else. Don't gossip. Be peaceful, peaceable. Be considerate. Try to maintain peace whenever possible. Be, hum- be humble. Walk in humility. Show true humility towards all men. He's telling them as a former reminder, and how often do we need to be reminded of those things? The world around us doesn't live like that. They are not attributes, characteristics of the unbelieving world. Some people are better than others at doing those things. But as Christians, it should be a normal lifestyle. And Paul's saying, just keep reminding him, Titus. Keep reminding him, Titus. And in verse 3, depending on your translations, in the NIV that I, I read, it says, at one time we too were, some of them said for or because. He's saying, remind them because you know what? We were like that. Now, most of us right away like to get defensive. Man, I look at those words and I say, I was never that bad. Some of us can look at those words and say, gee, I wish I'd only been that bad. The reality is, you'll find your old self in there if you look and are honest with yourself. At one time, we too were foolish. We were disobedient. We were enslaved and deceived by all kinds of lusts, passions, pleasures, lust of life, lust of the world, lust of entertainment, perversions. All, we too were driven by the, the lust to succeed, the lust for wealth, the lust for material things. Yeah, we were like that. Remind them that they were like that once. Remind them of these things. We lived in malice. We lived in envy. We were jealous of what other people had and who they were. And you know what? There are a lot of people that hated us, and we hated a lot of people. So it's that reminder, a reminder that should cause us to be able to step back and hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, this is how you should live. This is the way that we are going to model Christ to the world. It gives us a picture of what we were without Christ. You know, as I was doing this, the question came to my mind. And it's come to my mind before, and I just kind of let it slide. Where might you be if Jesus hasn't rescued you? What would your life look like if God had not, by his grace and by his mercy, saved you? What would your families, if you still had one, look like if he'd never saved you? Wow. Somebody posted on Facebook, and maybe it was somebody in here, because I don't have any other friends. (laughs) But somebody posted on Facebook, what if all you had today is what you thank God for yesterday? Boy, oh boy, a lot of us wouldn't have much, would we? 
The Bible says give thanks in everything. A thankful heart should be overflowing continuously. And sometimes we need to be reminded of what we were before Christ, who we were before Christ, and maybe even imagine what it might have looked like if he hadn't rescued us. And when we do this, it reminds us that we need to care for those who are still lost. It is so easy to become hardened, to become skeptical. And I have people ask me that all the time, and I've shared this before when uh, a banker called me one day and said, Mike, does it ever work? I said, what, does whatever work? I'm thinking of my car. No, he goes, does it ever work when you try to help someone? And my response was, if that's why you're doing it, you're going to be one frustrated human being. But we can become so jaded. But if we can, are reminded of who we were and what Christ demonstrated to us when he rescued us, it should give us the heart of Jesus for other people that are lost. Instead of judging them, pray for them. Instead of criticizing them, look for opportunities to build them up, encourage them. It doesn't mean we condone lifestyle. It doesn't mean we condone sin, but we love them anyway. You weren't very lovable before Jesus saved you. Neither was I. But he loved us anyway. You know, we need to be reminded that we were condemned and headed to hell until he rescued us. The power of sin was controlling our life, whether we know it or not. The Bible is clear. The power of sin. We were of the world. The prince of this world was our prince, Satan, even though we didn't know it. And he rescued us from all that. The power of sin, the power of death. Man, when we remember these things, it should change us. When I ask, has anybody got a praise report, I should have to pick one or two out of 200 because our arms all go up, and I'm just as guilty as anybody. I'm regretting what could happen next Sunday right now. (laughs) And then Paul goes on and shows us what God did and gives us a greater explanation of why he did it. In verse 4, it says, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared. A picture of this is you and I living our lives, heading to a path that leads to destruction, not even knowing it, and he reached out and grabbed a hold of us. He reached out and grabbed a hold of us. He gave us the grace to begin to understand the gospel. He gave us the grace to make the decision to accept the gospel. And he gives us the grace to live out a life that would bring glory and honor to him. It's all by grace through faith and what he's done. And we couldn't have done it, but he did it. He initiated every bit of it. None of your salvation, none of my salvation originated in me. There wasn't anything good. The Bible says in the heart of an unbeliever, there's not one single good thing. I know some of us don't like hearing that, but that's what the Bible says. But we've got a new heart. We've got a new owner. We've got a new master. We've got a new life. He reached out to us. The kindness and love is, comes from a Greek word that we get the English word philanthropy. Philanthropic. A love of mankind that caused him to move. He moved his loving kindness. There is a kindness that leads to repentance, according to the scripture. It's a kindness. When we think, oh, they're a kind person, they aren't this kind of kind unless they're a believer. This is the kind of kindness that comes when the Holy Spirit lives in us 
and the fruit of the Spirit, which I'll read the scripture a little later, but you'll notice part of that fruit of the Spirit is kindness that comes from God. The kindness of God, the philanthropy of God, showed up and appeared. And I'm not going to spend any time on this, really, except to make a quick review. We talked about this word last week in quite a bit of detail. That is the word epiphany. The kindness of God appeared. Not because we did anything. It wasn't part of our plan. God decided at that particular moment in time to send his son Jesus to earth in the form of a baby. It had been prophesied, it had been promised, it was going to happen, and then suddenly one day, out of the kindness of the Father, an epiphany. Jesus appeared on earth. The light came. The light came to reveal. Reveal sin, reveal hope, reveal the promises of the word of God that were there for us. It came to bring that light so that the way of salvation could be truly known. It's no longer a secret. It's through Christ. This kindness of God, this attribute that comes from the Holy Spirit in us. And verse 5 starts out then as it continues right from verse 4 with the key phrase in this whole section of Scripture that kind of links it all together. It says, He saved us. He saved us. And Paul reiterates again, and I'm not going to spend time on this because I've been saying it so many times in the last few weeks, but he reminds us again, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. The ground or foundation of our salvation is not from within. Not in the least. Works of righteousness. You know, you ever had a really nice shirt or a really nice pair of slacks or jeans and all of a sudden you spill your coffee And there's this stain that there is just nothing you can do about it. It's a stain that's not going to be removed no matter how hard your wife tries because you waited way too long. It's a stain. It's permanent. That is the situation we were all in. The stain of sin was on us, and there was nothing we could do about it. It was in us. It was upon us. The stain was there. Really, in God's eyes, that's all he would see if he looked upon us. But yet he still loved us so much that he saved us, but not by works of righteousness, according to his mercy and according to his grace. You know, mercy, a simple way I look at it to try to keep mercy and grace a little bit different from one another is, is in his mercy, he didn't give us what we deserved. In his mercy, as sinners, we deserved death, condemnation, the wrath of God, hell eternal. If he was fair, That's what would have happened. Fortunately, he is just and he had a better plan. And to his grace, he gave us something that we didn't deserve. So in his mercy, he didn't give us what we deserved. And by his grace, he offered us this gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. In Lamentations 3.22, it says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassion never fails. He loved us so much. He rescued us from the danger and destruction that sin brought upon us. We need to remember, shouldn't we rescue others 
Shouldn't we be part of who God uses to rescue others? You know, there's so many metaphors you could use, there's so many pictures you could paint about trying to rescue people that you know. I mean, if, if you were watching someone and they were on the edge of a precipice and was a thousand feet down and they were ready to step off because they didn't see where they were going, would you just watch? Or would you rescue them? If you saw a house starting on fire and you knew there was a family in there, would you just stand outside and watch? Or would you do everything in your power to go rescue them? If someone is condemned by sin and they're going to spend eternity in hell separated from God, would we just watch? Or would we take every opportunity the Lord gives us to go and try and rescue them? These are the things that we need to be reminded of. These are the things that Paul is telling Titus to remind the people of continually and keep reminding them so they don't forget. Paul often made contrasts of what we were like before and what we're like after. He did it in many of the letters he wrote. I'm going to take a minute and just read a couple of these sections of letters that he wrote to different churches. In the church of Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, just listen to what he wrote. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor the drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the king of God, kingdom of God. Well, that would be bad enough if he just left it there, but then he went on and said, and that is what many of you were. I think he was being kind. That's what all of you were. Again, you'll find yourself in there if you look. I did. But he didn't stop there either. He said, but, now the contrast. That's what you were. Here's who you are. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. By the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you read that, it's not just a name, a few letters. It's the character. It's all that he is, all that he's done. We have been purchased, sanctified, justified in Jesus' name by who he is and what he's done. What a contrast Paul is making. And then he writes to the church in Galatia. In Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things as these there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep, a step, keep in step with the Spirit. He makes this distinction, this contrast. He writes it to church after church after church. He's telling, telling Titus, make sure you remind the people, as I'm reminding you, this is what we were. This is who we are. We should be so overwhelmed with thankfulness and love for the one who saved and rescued us from these things. 
And he goes right on, and he, in that verse, he mentions the means of our salvation. He says, the washing of regeneration, or the washing of a new birth. Now, I'm just a little tiny rabbit trail. Sometimes people will use this scripture to say that baptism is necessary for salvation. This is the script, one of the scriptures they will use. I disagree with that completely. I, I believe the word, if you look at this, the Greek word here used for this washing has nothing to do with the word baptismo that's translated from the Greek into baptize. It's a word that is simply lutron. And what it simply means is, first of all, it's only used two places in the Bible, both times by Paul. And the other time that he uses it is in Ephesians 5.26. And he's re- making reference to the church. He says, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. No reference to being baptized as part of salvation. Again, baptism is an obedient act. We should do it, absolutely. But we can't distort it. We can't add anything to grace. And if we say baptism is necessary for salvation, we are adding to grace. And besides, it's not what the words are. So he says we're this washing of the new birth. And when it says washing there, the word here in Ephesians, I think it makes it clear it's simply referring to a washing and it's attached to the word of God and it's representing an inward work that can be and is demonstrated by baptism, by submersion. Regeneration, being born again, this is that thing that takes place at the moment of salvation. At the moment of salvation, instantaneously, when we have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we are born again regeneration, new life. What was dead is now alive. Old things have passed away. All things are new. I am a new creature in Christ. It happens immediately, and it's done by the Holy Spirit working in us. And then it goes on and says, and by the renewal, by the Holy Spirit. Renewal is an ongoing process of renovation. You know, I was born again, I'm a new creature in Christ, all things have passed away, all things are new, and Mike still looked a lot like he looked the day before. And there's a process taking place in my life called renewing, and this is what should be happening in all of our lives. The Holy Spirit is renewing us, washing by the word of God, washing our minds, renewing our minds, changing the way we live, changing the way we act, giving us the ability to hear the Holy Spirit's voice and giving us the ability to respond in obedience a renewing that takes place. Regeneration, instantly renewing, is a process. And in verse 6, he says, whom he poured out, referring to the Holy Spirit, who he poured out generously through Jesus Christ. You may or may not remember in John chapter 14 when Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's telling them that he's going to be leaving them. He said these words in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Jesus said, don't worry, guys, I'm leaving. And matter of fact, he even said, it's going to be better for you that I leave than if I would stay, because I'm going to the Father, and I'm going to ask him to send the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the comforter, the Spirit of truth. And that Spirit lives and dwells in each one of us. And in a sense, this also connects us to the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us. And in verse 7, he goes on and says, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. 
simultaneously with the new birth, the minute you were born again, you were totally justified. God had paid the price. The penalty had been paid in full. There's no more penalty. There's no more price for you and I to pay in terms of eternity because Jesus paid the price. He said it was finished simultaneously. And he gives you a new status. You're now no longer children of the prince of this earth, the devil. You are children of the Most High God. We are children of God. We have been adopted into his family. That's who we are. It's a gift of grace. And not only are we being saved from something, sin and all the consequences of sin, we are being saved to something. We are being saved to become heirs, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. There's a scripture, you may want to just jot this down. I love this scripture. It's in Romans 8, 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. I'm a child of God. I am the heir of God. I am co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And I know I've said this before, but if I'm co-heirs with Jesus Christ, that means what's his belongs to me. I'm co-heirs. It's not you're an heir and you're an heir and you get this and you get this. No, we are co-heirs. It's all ours together. Boy, meditate on that one for a while. I am co-heirs with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Co-heirs. And in verse 8, he says, our faith rests upon the hope. The hope. This is a certain hope. If you look in the, the lexicons and look up this word in the Greek, and here's what you'll see when it refers to the when it's used in the scriptures. It's a joyful, confident expectation of eternal salvation. If someone asks a Christian or someone who says they're a Christian, are you saved and going to heaven? And they say, I hope so. They better know this definition or you better make sure they do. Because it is a certain hope. Usually when they use that word, they're saying, I hope so. Because the opposite is not a good thing. No, we have a certain hope because it's in the word of God. And that's how he finishes. He says, our faith rests upon the hope. And then he goes in verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things. So he says, everything I've said up to this point, you can count on it. I am faithful to my word. It's a trustworthy saying. You never have to doubt or question any of this. It's all true. And then he goes on and he says, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Notice the emphasis on how Paul continually in the book of Titus connects our salvation with doing good. Doing good will never save you, but salvation and becoming saved should automatically cause us to be diligently looking to do good, to serve others, to do good works. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. I want to encourage you to spend some time in this section of Scripture. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, these verses should really motivate you to discover who he really is. And if you want to share the good news of the gospel with someone, boy, these are some good verses to do that with.
Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you and praise you for the good news of the gospel. God, the love of Jesus. God, the love that, that rescued us. That by grace, you, you gave us the ability to understand and to receive the gift of Jesus' sacrifice on my behalf. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who has never done that, never initiated and responded to the grace of God, today would be the day that their hearts would be opened to receive the good news of the gospel message, that they would receive the truth of how much you love us, receive the truth of the length you went to to rescue us through offering up your son Jesus on our behalf. Pray you would give the grace to receive that gift. And Lord, I pray that you would remind us by your Holy Spirit. Remind us, God. Remind us of who we were and what you've done and who we are. Remind us of who we are, that that old man is dead. I can't go back and fix anything. I can't go back and change anything. But I got a fresh start when I was born again. And all that we do would be for your glory, for your honor, knowing that you love us no matter what, no matter how many times we mess up, you still love us. I pray now as we go our different directions, you would watch over us, that you would keep us safe, protect us. I pray you would give us ears to hear your Holy Spirit speak and we would take advantage of every divine uh, opportunity, every divine appointment to share the good news, share the hope that lives within each one of us, that others may come to know the saving grace of Jesus. We ask all this in his name. Amen.